0: We're still in the early months of Jesus' ministry. There are a couple of things that happen um, in these early months, and particularly what we're talking about this evening, that are are very powerful uh, spiritually speaking. Some some really important big lessons, and uh, so I'm looking forward to this this evening. But I just wanted to remind you where we are. Uh, we're talking about the probably the summer months, uh, sometime not too long after Jesus started his public ministry. Uh, you see that opening paragraph I've provided for you in the notes. Uh, we talked about this last week as well. Uh, we have gone through Jesus' first Passover, his interview with Nicodemus. He's down south. Remember, Jerusalem, Judea is down south. Galilee is up north. He's from Galilee, up north, Nazareth. But he's been down south in Jerusalem for the first Passover. And um, that's where he met John the Baptist, was baptized down there. And then the first Passover. And then uh, on the way back up toward home, He stops at the woman at the well uh, in Samaria and then he continues on up. He goes to Nazareth and Nazareth, he's almost uh, executed by his people. And so he moves his headquarters to Capernaum. That's what we talked about last time. And these are early miracles then in that period of time. We're probably in the summer because we know the fields were wide unto harvest. That's May, something like that, uh, when he talks to the woman at the well in Samaria. So this is probably summer and um, not so long after Jesus started his ministry, which was perhaps in February, something like that. So here we are in the early stages of Jesus' ministry, and uh, today we begin with this story about healing the maniac of Gadara, and actually there were two demon-possessed men in Gadara, and one is much worse than the other. So one is featured, but there are actually two. And you see the story here in Matthew chapter 8. So just um, let me remind you what the story says. He was come to the other side into the country of the Gergesenes. Uh, There met him two possessed with devils, coming out of the tombs exceeding fierce, so that no man might pass by that way. And behold, they cried out, saying, What have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God? Are you come here to torment us before the time? And there was a good way off from them, a herd of many swine feeding. So the devils besought him, saying, if you cast us out, sir, for us to go away into the herd of swine. He said, go. When they were come out, they went into the herd of swine. And behold, the whole herd of swine ran violently down a steep place into the sea, perished in the waters. And they that kept them fled and went their own ways into the city and told everything what was befallen to, the, to those possessed of the devils. And behold, the whole city came out to Jesus to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they besought him that he would depart out of their coasts. Um, so this is very interesting. Uh, once again, we have a power encounter, spiritual warfare. And uh, you'll notice in the second bullet there, the literal interpretation of Scripture is what is uh, necessary whenever you come to these things. And you notice once again, as last week, that even the demons have a very literal interpretation of Scripture. So uh, that point reminds us, even the most harsh statements of judgment in Scripture is necessary in Luke's report of this event. He says the demons express their belief in literal torment and in a future time of fearful judgment, I beseech thee, torment me not. Are you come to torment us before the time? You know, that's just so important. The evil spirits are concerned about being tormented. So we live in an age when people say, well, I don't believe that God would ever want to torment anybody in a lake of fire. And you say, well, the word torment does occur. Uh, In Luke 16, uh, the rich man died. It says, and being in hell and being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and said, I am tormented. So that's torment. I am tormented in this fire. So, for example, you have Jehovah's Witness friends and they'll say, well, the Lord wouldn't torment anybody. You say, but the exact word torment is being used. You say, well, torment really just means going into prison of some kind. And, That's not what it means. Uh, I am tormented in this flame. The problem is not that I'm imprisoned in this flame. I hurt. Uh, In the book of Revelation chapter 9, you have the uh, account of the demon locusts that come out of hell and they sting people. And the Bible says their torment, their torment, and by the way, the book of Revelation also has uh, the word torment in connection with the lake of fire. It says their torment lasts for nine months. And you think, well, those demon locusts aren't putting anybody in prison. We're talking about pain. And a literal interpretation of Scripture is necessary whenever you're in spiritual warfare. And here, the demons are talking about being tormented. And that's just the way the Bible reads. Uh, In the middle of that bulleted point, the demons also believe in a literal pit of hell According to late Luke 8.31, they him that he would not command them to go out into the deep uh, Greek abyss. And so it's just literal. A literal interpretation of Scripture is the only interpretation that makes sense in spiritual warfare. And ultimately, we're all in spiritual warfare. So the last thing you want to do is twist the Scripture. Once again, the Apostle Peter, speaking of Paul's epistles, uh, he says that the unlearned and unstable people twist Paul's scriptures as they do also the other scripture. You do not want to twist the scriptures. The scriptures are meant to be taken in their normal, natural meaning. Uh, The third bullet point there, unusual strength, uh, the maniac of Gadara, or as you can see, there are two actually uh, demon-possessed men. You see that they break chains. uh, They're exceeding fierce, the Bible says, and they can pluck the chains asunder they have a preoccupation with death because they live among the tombs. Self-cutting. Uh, they were cutting themselves with sharp stones. Chronic crying out in anguish. Says they were always going in and out among the tombs and crying out. Um, these are all characteristics of demon possession in at least some cases. And Mark's gospel gives some of those symptoms that aren't listed right here for us. But putting that all together, I'm always alarmed. You know, when I was a kid, I read in the Old Testament about uh, the Lord commanding Israel that uh, they should not cut themselves as the heathen people do. Uh, Particularly the heathen people were known to do that during funeral ceremonies and that sort of thing. And you know the story of Elijah and the challenge of the prophet of Baals. And when they were all upset in their, you know, Pagan desperation. They cut themselves. And I remember thinking, how odd. Um, I've never really heard of anything quite like that. And then I got a little bit older, and all of a sudden we started hearing about teen girls, especially, sometimes boys, but teen girls cutting themselves. You think, uh oh, well, I know where I read about that before. That's in connection with people who are in spiritual warfare. And I'm sure that people who are very uh, psychologically distressed are capable of doing a lot of things that are irrational, nonsensical. Of course, uh, you could you could do irrational things even if there was no devil in the world. But it's at least a little curious that suddenly, as America has been tearing down the Lord's protective fence. We don't want you in our schools. We're not going to pray around here. We don't want you in our schools. We're not going to do Bible things around here. We don't want you in our universities. Make the Christian clubs go away. And as Americans tear down the fence of God's protection, suddenly all of these girls are cutting themselves like the maniac of Gadara, uh, dwelling among the tombs and all of this interest in the Gothic lifestyle, of the scene, the emo stuff, uh, it's just very interesting that there's all of this interest now in that sort of thing. And that is symptomatic of spiritual warfare, the work of the devil in the world. You can do that sort of thing without the devil's influence. But it is interesting that it occurs in scripture in particular association with the devil's influence. Why well, does that raise any questions or observations about the demon-possessed individuals? Mark? I do wonder about that sometimes. Yeah, I do. Um, One thing that's interesting, you know, maybe two things that are especially interesting. In the first place, it did create a wonderful object lesson because you get to see the works of the devil. And so you see the suicidal swine. And um, essentially Jesus could say, and that's what happens for all those who follow the ways of Satan. So it does create a wonderful object lesson. You know, the, that absolute uh, irrationality again, and and the um, the desperation that will come to you if if you continue on this path of rebellion against God, uh, following the devil. So it does make a tremendous object lesson. Another thing uh, that is significant is that the swine were considered you know unclean animals, and um, we don't know all the reasons that the Lord. Encourage people to stay away from swine but um, interestingly well there are three good reasons to stay away from swine uh, the first one is do you know those rascals they say have ten times the amount of fecal material as humans ten times It's filthy. I mean, what are you going to do with all of that? And so that's probably one reason why the Lord said, let's just not be raising those in our farms. That's a lot uh, to take care of. Number two, a cow digests its food very slowly, but pigs digest their food very quickly. So when you eat um, pig, pork, you get a lot of things that they just never filter out. So they're famous for carrying viruses and parasites. And if you're trying to live a healthy life out away from, you know, modern medicine, uh, it might be a good idea to be really careful about consuming a lot of trichinosis worms, uh, ring worms that were in the food. And they, they can occur in venison as well. But in the domesticated animals, it tends to be a, a pig thing, a pork. Thing. and particularly if you're away from table. but trichinosis is, is a bad one um, so then you have uh, two reasons their digestive tract and, and the uh, fecal matter and the last one is they, they do tend to carry worms and viruses so at any rate for Jesus to have them go into the swine It's sort of like um, divine retribution. These animals are filthy. We shouldn't be domesticating them. Let's get rid of them. Now, it's okay with me that you have bacon and that sort of thing now. I'm sure I do. But uh, you you might just appreciate what the Lord was trying to teach them in those days. These things are filthy. Why don't you get rid of them? It's not safe. John. Yeah. John is mentioning, you know, he said, Are you here to send us to the pit before the time, you know, before the appropriate time for judgment. It may be, as we often say, even the devil is the Lord's devil. There might be more devilry for these particular demons to engage in before the Lord is done with them. So uh, obviously the Lord could have sent them to the pit early before the time, but maybe that's not what he preferred to do. If you have a world of people inviting demonic activity into their lives, then the Lord seems to be um, agreeable to allowing the demonic activity in the lives of those who invite it. So, um, yeah, that that's probably part of it. John, you want to follow up? Yeah, in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus says that only the Father knows the time, you know, for the end times, uh, the return of the Son of Man. So, You know, it would have been, John is suggesting maybe they'd be preempting, you know, it's not time yet, and Jesus shouldn't take those matters into his hands in submission to the Father. So, sure, that's right. Uh, Shannon, and then Tom, and then Ken. Evidently not. You know, just because the pigs die doesn't mean that the demons have had any trauma. Tom. I mean, because there are tribal religions all over the world that basically worship every animal. Yeah, I read some time back about... A witch doctor who was called into his calling as a medicine man uh, by an evil spirit who had come to him in the form of a pig. So, yeah, it's common. Sure is. Uh, and Ken. Yeah. Including torment in a pit of all things. Literal interpretation. Yeah. Mike. One of the most interesting things is that after he has helped somebody who was mad, you know, he's just insane and scaring everybody, crying out all night and breaking chains. After he's helped the primary maniac and and another besides, they say, oh, you you know, Jesus, get out of here. You know, you're scary. Uh, Yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? But that's the same thing that happens, uh, you know, in much smaller ways to us as Christian witnesses. Uh, I oftentimes like to remind you of the positive effect of Christianity, not only in this country, but in the whole world. And yet what is the the one religion in America that gets absolutely no respect at all? Like, oh, you Christians, you're scary. You have to get out of here. Well, we Christians basically save the world as you know it. And you want us to get out of here. It's the same thing. So very odd. Charlotte. Yeah, to us, it's a comfort because we're following him. If you were going to rebel against him, that's very uncomfortable. Yeah, well said. Good point. Well, okay, so then at the bottom of page uh, 33 there, this page, uh, we want to talk about the woman with the issue of blood, the bleeding problem. So Matthew 9:18. While he spoke these things unto them, behold, there came a certain ruler and worshipped him, saying, My daughter is even now dead. But come and lay thy hand upon her, and she shall live. And Jesus arose, followed him, and so did his disciples. And behold, a woman which was diseased with an issue of blood twelve years came behind him, touched the hem of his garment, and she said within herself, If I may but touch his garment, I shall be whole. But Jesus turned him about when he saw her, he said, Daughter, be of good comfort, uh, thy faith hath made thee whole, and the woman was made whole from that hour. Now I left out part of that story, as you know, and there's still more to it because he has to continue with the healing of uh, Jairus' daughter. But the great thing here that I love very much is um, the predicament that the woman is in and how she did truly do wrong and then in the face of wrong that she was caught in, how she handled it. It is a, a remarkable story with huge Christian application. All right, so... You know the background in the Old Testament law because of the Lord's hygiene laws. You cannot touch a corpse. You cannot touch blood. If it were leprosy, you can't touch the leprosy. If you touch anything unclean, even if this lady had an issue of blood, we think she needed a hysterectomy. Even if this woman who had an issue of blood sat on a chair or a stump, And you went and sat on that stump after her, even if there was no evidence of her ever being there. But you did, and the word is out. You know, she has a problem, and you sat there. You didn't know, but now you have a problem. Just because of that in the Old Testament law, you are unclean until evening. Now, that's going to be a major inconvenience to the Savior who runs around with crowds Touching people and making them well on his way to help Jairus' daughter. I mean, what was this woman thinking? You know, if I touch him, he's unclean till evening, but I don't care. I, I, it's worth a try. I, I have to take care of myself. She should not have done that. She was going to inconvenience Jesus so that he could not help the next person. But, She decided anyway. And you can hear the rationalization in her mind. Well, I won't actually touch him. I will just graze his garment and then it'll be okay. And who would know anyway? So, but of course, Jesus did know uh, as the text explains, he felt virtue go out of him. He knew that something good had just happened. And so he spun around and said, who touched me? And there is the reprimand, you know, how did anybody touch you? You're in a crowd. Everybody touched you. You know, what are you talking about? And then finally, the woman comes and uh, confesses that she did it. So anyway, what's great about this story is that she knew that she had done wrong. You can't, you know, if you don't understand the idea of Jesus being unclean until evening and then not being able to help any more people that day, particularly now a young girl who certainly is deserving of his help. And because of what she did, by the letter of the law, Jesus would not be able to help her anymore, Uh, unless, of course, he wanted to speak the word and do it from a distance. But this woman could not possibly have known that. All she would know is, I'm going to make him unclean till evening if I get caught, but it's worth it. So she knew she was trespassing against the good teacher. And she didn't care. And then when the Lord spun around and said, who touched me? Eventually she came forward and she confessed all that she did. And when she did that, and the reason I uh, gave you the Matthew passage is because it's very sweet there. He said, daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole. And the woman was made whole from that hour. So in other words, after she gave the confession, the Lord called her daughter. And technically, that's the only time the Lord ever gave somebody that pet name, daughter. It never happened before then, um, or after then. Uh, he would talk about the daughters of Jerusalem and things like that. But to actually single out one person and say, daughter, can you imagine what that would mean to you? If in that moment, you were not only healed, but you confessed, you know, it was me. I'm so sorry. It was me. And, and he said, no, that's okay because, daughter, you're going to be fine now. That is just, that's just a dramatic moment in the Gospels. And there's nothing quite like that. And the reason I'm showing that to you is because you see that the, the pet name, the closeness Is associated with her confession. And, you know, nobody can imagine how the story would go otherwise. There are, you know, too many uh, possibilities. But what if she didn't confess? What if she hid? What if she ran away? We don't know how the story would have turned out. But we do know that she did confess, and then the Lord bestowed her with a precious pet named daughter, and that's what he'll do for all of us. The trouble. Is when we deny our sin, when we run away from Jesus, when we continue hiding, I don't want to face this with the Lord, that's big trouble. But if we confess our sins, 1 John 1 9, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us, and he just then uh, restores everything, and he says, You know, daughter, your, your faith has made you well, and she is indeed well. By the way, as to why Jesus would not then be unclean for the rest of the day, it's because as soon as she touched him, uh, all of the uncleanness, the corruption, the risk, the germs, the hygiene problems were solved. And so in this one case, uh, he would not be unclean. But she would not have known that. And so that's why she was trespassing against the Savior. Tracy. No, although there is definitely... Uh, an expectation whenever we go to the Lord with some kind of a need for faith. Uh, her faith was exercised uh, two ways. She did think if I, you know, he is He is legitimately a healer from God. And if I just touch his garment, I'll bet it'll make me well. So she really has um, a high opinion of Jesus. Um, her faith was expressed the second time when she confessed. Again, she would have to have a high opinion of Jesus to, to come forward and um, confess to what she had done, thinking that somehow there, there has to be forgiveness. Somehow there has to be some sort of mercy here. So, and interestingly, he'll go and in just a minute, and he's going to go raise a young girl from death. She didn't express any faith. She was dead. So the Bible has lots of ways. Sometimes the faith of the individual, sometimes the faith of somebody who brings the individual, and sometimes, evidently, faith is, it has nothing to do with it. The Lord um, heals in cases when it's a total surprise. So, yeah, you don't want to. So that's the faith healer's big exit. They can always say, well, there's nothing wrong with me. You didn't get healed because there's something wrong with you. And the truth is, in the Gospels, the disciples and Jesus uh, don't have any misfires. You know, it's like uh, when the disciples could not cast out the demon from the young boy after the Mount of Transfiguration, the Lord rebuked the healers, the disciples, and said they didn't have very much faith. So maybe the faith healers uh, should have the finger pointed back at them. Um, they didn't have very much faith, and maybe that's the problem. But the real issue is that the Lord has more than one way of doing this, and sometimes the individual who is healed cannot possibly express faith because he's dead. So that's not the whole issue, is it? So, Joanne. I, I think that because he is infinitely powerful, that there is no risk of cost. But the feeling of virtue go out of him is is not because it hurt him, but because you know he knew he had just done something wonderful. Jerry, how do you answer something like that um, without sounding boastful? Sure, I, and I'm sure you have too. There have been times. When, you know, we all have been, for example, witnessing, and uh, you suddenly realize that we're not speaking, you know, brain to brain with somebody anymore, that the Holy Spirit is involved with this, and there's a spiritual transaction taking place that you never could have manufactured. As a matter of fact, it may have come as a real surprise to you. And um, sure, the Lord ends up using us in some way. And it's, it's, you know, beyond us and it's bigger than us. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure we've all had that happen. And it doesn't have to be speaking. It can be while you're doing some small kindness uh, for somebody and all of a sudden, you know, they come up to you and you realize that that thing, whatever it is that you were doing, was very meaningful. Um, I can't remember who told the story. Was it, I think it might be an R.A story. But uh, somehow, uh, a well-known agnostic ended up in a special service because he was invited, because he was somebody's relative. I can't remember why he went. But he was at the end of the service, and he didn't care anything about the message. At the end of the service, uh, there was this very, very elderly lady who is going down the several stairs at the church entrance and so he put his arm around her and took her by the elbow and was helping her down the stairs and she looked up at him and just with the sweet, and she didn't know he was a virtual atheist and she looked at him and said isn't the Lord so good? And it melted his heart and he became a Christian. Didn't care anything at all about the sermon. But that lady had something about her in that You know, utter sincerity. Isn't the Lord good? And he became a Christian. Um, Virtue went out of her that day. It's not exactly in the words. It's not in anything that you could orchestrate. It just sort of happened. And that's great. Yeah. So good. All right. So does that raise any other questions or observations? The important thing is, if you won't confess, you can't be called daughter. That's how that works. All right. So page 34. This is Jairus' daughter, and remember then, the woman with the issue of blood interrupts this story, and so in your notes, I made that little section small. Uh, But here's the story just of Jairus' daughter without the interruption of the woman. Uh, While he spoke these things unto them, behold, there came a certain ruler, worshipped him, saying, My daughter is even now dead. But come, lay your hand on her, and she shall live. Jesus arose and followed him, and so did his disciples. So verse 23, when Jesus came into the ruler's house, saw the minstrels and the people making noise, he said unto them, Give place, for the maid is not dead, but sleeps. And they laughed him to scorn. But when the people were put out, he went in, took her by the hand, and the maid arose, and the fame hereof, went abroad into all that land. Um, I've always been impressed that the people laughed him to scorn. Uh, In the first bullet point, it is always a terrible idea to think that any of the Lord's ideas or ways or methods uh, are absurd. Um, They seem absurd to us sometimes, but the Lord should never be laughed at. He should never be scorned. Uh, He should never be scoffed at. Because he is always, always right. And it must have seemed uh, over and over again with godly people like the Lord's ways were absurd. He asks us to do the most horrible and absurd things sometimes. But it is never, ever a good idea to laugh at the Lord's ideas. And he said the girl was sleeping, so she's sleeping and never laugh at the Lord. The second bullet is just reminding you that there are actually nine temporary resurrections mentioned in the Bible. Temporary meaning because that girl would die again someday, right? So she's resurrected, but not forever and ever. Um, and I've listed them for you there. You have three in Old Testament times. Elijah has one, and Elisha has two, one while he's living, and one when a Dead man's corpse touches Elisha's bones, so I guess we'll give him credit for two. Uh, Jesus raised three more individuals from death. That's this one, Jairus' daughter, the son of the widow of Nain, and Lazarus, as you know. Then there was the resurrection of many saints when Jesus died on the cross at the end of the Gospel of Matthew. And you also have Peter raising Tabitha, also called Dorcas. You have Paul raising Eutychus from death. And so those are the temporary resurrections in the Bible. This is not the only one. Healing two blind men once again, this is a great story with huge christian implications. so matthew nine hundred and twenty seven When Jesus departed thence, two blind men followed him, crying and saying, Thou son of David, have mercy on us. When he was come into the house, the blind men came to him and Jesus unto them said unto them, "Uh, Believe you that I am able to do this? They said unto him, Yea, Lord. Then touched he their eyes and said, According to your faith, be it unto you. And their eyes were opened. And Jesus straightly charged them, saying, See that no man know it. But they, when they were departed, spread abroad his fame in all that country. Um, That phrase, he says, According to your faith, be it unto you. That is like a description of the whole Christian life. According to your faith, be it unto you. It's as if everywhere along the way, the Lord says, do you believe I'm able to do this? And hopefully your answer is, yes, I do believe it. And the Lord's reply is going to be, well, according to your faith, be it unto you. Uh, We can apply this to every battle you face in life, particularly battles related to character and victory over sin. You know, I've been an addict all my life. Do you still want to be an addict? No. Do you believe that I'm able to make you stop being an addict? Yes. All right, then. According to your faith, be it unto you. The Lord said he would make a way for you to escape every temptation. And until you believe that, you're never going to have success in your life, in your Christian character. But when you get it, think, oh, I don't have to be like this. I've been angry all my life. You believe I'm able to cure that? Yes. According to your faith, be it unto you. I guess you're not going to be angry all your life anymore. The Lord's going to fix you. He's going to make you well. Uh, You've had a problem with some sort of uh, fearfulness. I I won't contact that person because I'm afraid. I won't do this because I'm afraid. And the Lord would say, do you believe that I'm able to do this? Uh, to make you so that you can do everything I ever called you to do? Even if you're afraid, do you believe I'm able to do this? And if your answer is, yes, Lord, I believe that, then his reply is going to be good. According to your faith, be it unto you. You're not going to be so afraid that you don't get done all the things I ever wanted you to do. And it's always the way The, the Lord says in his word that he will give you victory. He will give you triumph. He will help you in your time of need and then it falls on you. Do you believe this stuff or not? Because if you believe it, you can live a wonderful Christian life. And if you don't believe it, then it's not going to happen. Uh, The power of positive thinking people always said things like this and they got it wrong. But uh, I remember I would tell my boys versions of this uh, from time to time. And uh, I'd say something like, one boy believed that he could do such and such a thing and the other boy didn't believe it and they were both right. It's because if you don't believe the Lord's going to help you do what he calls you to do, then you're right. He's not going to help you. But if you do believe when he tells you, I'm going to give you victory over this, this sin that has beaten you down for years, I will assure you, Victory in this, there is no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. I will make a way to escape. Do you believe it? No, I don't believe it. Well, then you're right. You're not going to escape. Do you believe it? Yeah, I believe it. Then you watch. That anger, whatever problem, you know, the girl watching, whatever we're talking about, it's going to go away. Because by God's grace, he's going to do everything he ever promised that he would do. And if you laugh him to scorn and say, that's absurd. Then, in a sense, you're right. It's never going to happen. Until you believe it, it's not going to happen because the Lord says, according to your faith, be it unto you. Well, does that raise any questions or observations? All right. We have the healing of the demon-possessed mute man in Matthew chapter 9. And uh, I wanted you to see this because it is interesting and, it again, I think has application to some of the things that we see around us even today. Matthew 9.32, as they went out, behold, they brought him a dumb man possessed with a devil. When the devil was cast out, the dumb man spoke, and the multitudes marveled, saying it was never so seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said he casts out devils through the prince of the devils. I wanted you to see this because... Even though most illnesses are organic in their origins, you see here in the Gospels, other places in the Bible, that demon possession can cause illness. So uh, this man was mute and couldn't speak from demon possession. The child in Mark 9.25 was both mute and deaf because of demon possession. The man from Gadara was insane the woman in Luke 13:11 was bowed together with dystonia; she couldn't straighten her back, her limbs. She couldn't straighten herself. Uh, she was bowed together because of demon possession. Job had a painful skin disorder, not from demon possession, but from demon harassment. And Paul had a bodily illness of some kind from demonic harassment. So I don't think you should run around saying that, oh, you know, this person is sick. He must be demon-possessed. That'd be a terrible way uh, to approach sickness. But at least you should know in the back of your mind that it does sometimes happen this way. Uh, oftentimes when our missionaries have gone into places that were, you know, demonic in, in their cultural traditions, we've had a little good little success in affecting what would be called supernatural healings because these people are sick because of demonic harassment. So when we go in there and lead them to Christ and have follow-up with them so that they're discipled, then those illnesses often go away. We're not exactly healing normal organic illnesses in those cases. We're healing spiritual problems and with the absence of the evil spirit there is relief from the physical ailments and and that is uh, somewhat common uh, you talk to believers around the world for example in China there's a tremendous amount of demonic activity in China and even people who seem to be much like us very very Bible in their orientation and utterly afraid to fake spiritual healing, you find them doing a lot of evidently spiritual healing. You think, why is that happening in China so much more than here? And I would like to suggest that a lot of the reason is because many of those illnesses in Chinese paganism have demonic roots. So when we go in there and we pray for somebody, or we have a person converted to the gospel and then discipled, the illnesses get better. That's not necessarily because we're doing something so, you know, different in China than we're doing here. It's because not as many people are demonically sick here as in China. But that's probably happening here more than we wish and probably will happen more in the future um, than it is today. But just notice that uh, demonic warfare makes people sick. That's somewhat frequent in other countries, less so here. Uh, Emmanuel. You know, and, and we just don't have eyes to see it. But there are all kinds of issues. You know, if you could walk up and down the hospital hallways with the Lord's vision, you wonder... How many illnesses are there because of spiritual roots? And, and of course, we'll never know. But it is somewhat common for people to walk with the Lord and get better. And, of course, there could be a lot of reasons for that. But one of those reasons is probably demonic harassment overcome by a, a truly Christian commitment. So, good uh, and then lastly, healing the paralytic man who was lowered through the roof. Uh, you know the story. This is the man who was carried by four. Uh, there's no room. And so the tiles are removed and the man is lowered. What I wanted to show you here is just one thing, that bulleted point. Um, well, I should read it for you, I suppose, first of all. In verse 20, when he saw their faith, uh, by the way, Tracy, that was the other half of it, right? It was not the paralytic guy's faith that moved Jesus. In this case, it was the bringer's faith. And so uh, when the faith healer says, you weren't healed because you didn't have enough faith, they'll say, well, I read in the Gospels that one time the disciples couldn't heal a man because they didn't have faith. And I read that one time the man was healed because of the faith of those who brought him. So it's not just the sick person's faith that we're dealing with. At any rate, when Jesus saw their faith, the faith of the bringers, he said unto them, Man, thy sins are forgiven. And the scribes and Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this which speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? You know, they're so right. That is absolutely right. Who can forgive sins but God alone? That was exactly the issue. So once again, when your Jehovah's Witness friends say, Well, there's nothing in the Bible that indicates that a person can forgive that Jesus is God, then we would say, Uh, That's not true. Only God can forgive sins. Now, and Jesus did clearly forgive sins. Now, if you sin against me and say, Dave, will you forgive me? Then I can forgive you for what you did against me. But I can't forgive you for what you did against somebody else or for what you've done against God. Only God can do that. So amazingly, the Pharisees, have have boiled the issue down to precisely the point of the deity of Christ. Well, why is he saying to this man, all of your sins are forgiven? And the answer is, because Jesus is God. And uh, that becomes a very strong evidence for the deity of Christ. Shannon. Yes. Yeah, Shannon was talking about Mormonism. The Mormons actually believe that Jesus is God, but he's an evolving God, and so also is the Father an evolving God. And um, Jesus hasn't quite evolved as far as the Father. And also you're, I mean, if you're a good Mormon, you're an evolving God, and you haven't evolved quite as far as Jesus, but everybody's getting better and better all the time. And uh, so very unusual uh, approach to, to God. But at any rate, when you're dealing with the deity of Christ, that is, that is the point, isn't it? Who can forgive my sins? Jesus says, I can. Your sins are forgiven. Well, that means he's God. That's the only way that that could ever make any sense. And in that sense, the Pharisees nailed it.